And I know you'll see that a song changes everything. That's it. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome Hi. to Arts for the Health of It. I'm Richard Wilmore. I'm Catherine Partesini, and we are here this morning with Lisa Orr. Welcome, Lisa. Oh, wait, I can do this. Wait, hold on. This is how professional we are, Lisa. Wait, <laughs> say that again. We're here with... Say We're here with... Drum roll. Oh. Oh, oh. Oh, you have Lisa a Orr. Oh, I feel Yay. like I need to... I'm going to bow. It goes on. It's looped. So this can just... Sit down, oh. everyone. Sit down, wait. please. <laughs> I love the hair flow. <laughs> She was worried that 4,000 people would be listening, and maybe they are now. We don't even know. This... Oh, you guys know really how to make a girl feel special. Thanks well, for having me. I uploaded that just for you. I love it. I mean, those are real people. Sorry, I didn't mean that. Those are actual people. We have a way to do that. Love it. Uh, Lisa, can you tell us a little bit about your about yourself and how you maybe ended up on this podcast? Yes, <laughs> that would be a great place to start, right? <laughs> People are like, who is this girl? <laughs> so hi, um, I'm Lisa Orr. I live in Massachusetts, just north of Boston, and I am a breast cancer survivor. Um, I was diagnosed when I was 31. Um, it was... Uh, actually just before the new year in 2018, when um, I had two little boys, I had a three-year-old and an 18-month-old. And I was kind of just getting back into the swing of like feeling like, all right, I got this. I have two kids <laughs> and I'm sort of understanding how to be a mom of two crazy boys. Um, and I felt like I was in such a good place mentally. I was starting to kind of take care of myself again, um, you know, exercising, eating healthier. So I was on, um, we had a treadmill in our basement and I was running on the treadmill and I kept getting this like pulling sensation in my armpit, which I thought was weird, but also at the same time I was like, oh, it's just a muscle. It's fine. Um, and when I stopped my run, it kind of prompted me to feel around in the area and I felt a rock hard lump on my breast and almost to the point, like it took my breath away to the point where I was like, how did I not feel this before? Like, how is this the first time I'm noticing this? Um, so I, my personality, <laughs> my anxious personality went right to panic. I've always, I've never had a reason to be um, anxious about my health, but I've always had health anxiety. Um, and so clearly I went directly to that dark space. Meanwhile, I call my husband down and he's like, you're fine. This is nothing. Um, and my parents are both in the medical field. So I called them immediately. They were also like cautiously like, no, it's most likely fine. You're only 31. We have no family history of anything, but let's get it checked out just to be sure. So they had that kind of like medical background knowledge that kind of, um, allowed me to go further. And I'm glad obviously that I did, um, went, got a mammogram. They called me back in for more pictures, which I feel like you, you read about that as being not a great thing. So immediately again, my head was just not in a good spot. Um, then they called me to have an ultrasound. And when the radiologist came in the room and, sat down on the bed and, you know, kind of put her hand on my leg. 
you know, she didn't know for sure, but she was like, we need to biopsy this. Um, and I feel like just the room went black. I'm sure everybody has that moment when they're diagnosed where, um, and again, this wasn't my official diagnosis, but it was that moment that kind of made it extremely right. real. Um, I, I just feel like I was like floating over myself and just didn't even really understand what was happening. I, she was talking, but I wasn't comprehending a word mm -hmm. she was saying, um, hyperventilating, et cetera. Anyways, she fit me in for a biopsy that afternoon, which was amazing. Um, and then I got the call the next day um, that it was triple negative breast cancer, which um, I used to be someone who would go right to Google and I learned the hard way not to do that. Not to do that. <laughs> um, and when it comes to cancer in general, but specifically triple negative breast cancer, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like a death sentence. I mean, the statistics, everything you read about it, how rare it is in um, my age and how it just wasn't good. <laughs> I was not in a good spot mentally. Um, and from there, it kind of was a blur. You know, I went um, and had a second opinion. And then I ended up um, choosing my oncologist at Dana-Farber since I mean, very lucky to live so close to um, such incredible, you know, healthcare and doctors, um, especially in the oncolo oncology space. So um, chemo with some hiccups along the way, I ended up being allergic to one of the uh, drugs I was supposed to get. So they had to bring me to that like super fun round table discussion of all the like super smart oncologists and say, what do we do with this girl? What do we do? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, that was me. And then, um, yeah, so 13 rounds of infusion, surgery, and then 36 rounds of radiation brought me from January all the way to October of 2019. And then with triple negative, it's like, all right, see you in a few months. Uh, there's no medication you go on. There's no... Um, there's no safety net, really. I feel like with hormone positive breast cancers, you start taking that um, pill and at least maybe you feel a little bit like, okay, I'm still doing something that could be fighting if, if I still have cancer in me. But no, so that that is when the real kind of mental game started for me. I feel like throughout treatment, um, I, am, I am such a type A kind of person. So I was like head down. Um, oh, my watch, sorry. Um, head down, like checking off those treatments. We got this, like I'm just in it. And then as soon as I wasn't in treatment anymore, it's almost like that's when it all kind of settled in and mm -hmm. hit me. Um, and it was right around that time when my sister actually found um, this organization called Elephants in Tea. Um, and I have always loved to write, um, but... Uh, she found this and it's a magazine and you can write about your cancer experience and you can read about the experiences of other people who have been through cancer. And so it sounded like a perfect opportunity for me to kind of take what was in my mind and try and get it out and try and um, work on that mental health piece. Because I'm, I'm not going to lie, to be honest, I, during treatment, was not one of those that was like going to support groups. I felt so much like 
I am having such a hard time with this. I can't even comprehend like listening to other people's hard time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, which makes me sound kind of like a hypocrite. But then I feel like once I was done with treatment and I was able to kind of focus on what I had just been through and that, hey, there are a ton of people, unfortunately, that get what I just went through and that have gone through the same thing. And um, so, yeah, that's how I found Elephants in Tea. I wrote for the magazine a few times. Um, I kind of would continuously reach out to the executive director, Nick um, Galarakis, and say, how can I be more involved? How can I be more involved? I, I'd love to do more. Um, and so from there, it kind of just grew. He asked me to be a part of the patient advisory committee. Um, so I was able to meet some really incredible people, again, who kind of understood what I was going through, but also have this kind of like inside scoop of the organization and upcoming things that were going on. And um, it just lit my fire even more. Um, and we started, he asked me to, um, I'm a former elementary school teacher. So, um, that like love for teaching is so innate in me. So, um, they were going to be starting these healing through writing workshops with hospitals across the country. And, um, he had asked me to be a part of those kind of to share, um, my patient experience and kind of how writing really helped me through what I went through. Um, and then from there, you know, the opportunity arose for me to become a member of their full-time staff. So that was kind of fast forwarding through a few years just to kind of explain my connection initially to the organization and now how I feel so incredibly lucky to be such a big part of it now. Um, but within that time period also, I, and this was actually before I came on full-time, I was like, I just have to do something else to share what I'm going through. Because I would write um, and I would update friends and family, you know, on social media. And um, I really enjoyed doing that, kind of like putting my heart on paper and trying to spread awareness and let people know that like, I had no idea that this could happen to me, but it did. And so just be aware and sharing kind of the behind the scenes, the emotion behind going through that as a young adult, as a young adult with two little kids, um, and how to balance all of it. Um, that I started having people reach out to me to be like, you know, I love hearing about what you've been through. It really opens my eyes to it. So I, I have always been a huge fan of podcasts um, and I just feel like there's something writing is beautiful and you can get your point across in, in writing, but there's just something about hearing about someone's experience, like from their own mouth, you know, yeah. from their own words and voice. Um, so I had it kind of on my mind for a long time that it would be really cool to start a podcast, but I didn't know the first thing of how to do that. Um, and I, I really did feel like I had so much more to say. Um, and the world of podcasting can be a little bit of a saturated market. I mean, there's a lot of amazing podcasts out there. So there was also that kind of thought and that fear of like, all right, but like, what do I have to say that's different or what can I share that's different and not already out there? 
Um, and I feel like I sat down and I thought about what I wish I had when I was diagnosed to listen to. Um, and when it came down to it, I feel like I wanted more truth, more like real life stories instead of kind of always focusing on the positivity and what came out of it, which granted, I will be the first one to tell you that I think for me personally, a lot of positive things have come out of my experience. But um, I just know that sharing the hard parts is what allows others to feel less alone and talking about those things that maybe aren't talked about enough um, in a public forum is what I was missing or lacking, if that makes sense. Um, so that was kind of my goal is to see what parts of my experience I could share that were maybe not the parts that were super easy to listen to or getting the perspectives of the people around me. Um, I think that was huge, like interviewing my husband, my sister, my mom, and kind of like getting their take on it. Because I feel like a lot of times the caregivers, the people close to the people going through cancer, I don't want to say are like left in the dust, but you know, they're as much of a part of it as you are. Yeah, they're not getting the treatment. They're not, but they're, they're going through a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, so yeah, so those were like where my ideas started spinning. And then I had people reaching out to me saying like, I want to share my story. Will you have me? I want to share my story. And it became so apparent that people are just craving that like real life, those real life experiences that they can relate to and listen to and be like shaking their head while they're listening to it and be like, wow, yes, like, yes, that is what I feel. That's what I went through regardless of type of cancer. I mean, so yeah, that's kind of where it, where it all stemmed from. Um, and a lot of people, so the title of it is don't call it a journey. So I don't know if yeah, you, tell I, us, I can chat tell about, about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cause I get a lot of like, not, not questions, but Basically, I feel like in the world of cancer, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there are a lot of words that people have mixed feelings about. So there are like trigger words and some people it bothers, some people it doesn't. And that's totally fine. Um, but for me, the word journey, I wouldn't necessarily call it a trigger for me, but cancer journey just didn't seem right to me because to me journey like the dictionary literally defines journey as traveling from one place to another and I was learning so much in my survivorship post-treatment that like this was gonna be the rest of my life you know there is no end in sight so it's like a part of me now and it's an evolving everyday kind of part of my life. And I don't see it as this like end point that I'm trying to get to. Um, it's just kind of, it's going to be within me and a part of me forever, regardless of, you know, yes, I'm doing it. I have, um, I am working in the field of, you know, nonprofit, um, cancer organization, but I, it's regardless of that, it's still a part of me because of long-term 
side effects because of the mental health piece. So yeah, the journey word just didn't really uh, fit for me. <laughs> so well, that's where the a journey like a, yeah, go ahead, Richard. A journey makes it seem like you're Dorothy going down the yellow brick road, like you're gonna find some fun people, and you you know, <laughs> like sure there might be a witch every once in a while who's going to throw fire <laughs> at you, but like you'll deal with it. Like and but I think it's we, over. Yeah, and then it's yeah. over, and then suddenly yeah. it's it's uh not black and white anymore as yeah. you know, I would probably closer to a war than a journey mm -hmm. but um I don't know it's we talk about that a lot during training of you know things to say to people and, I, and we do it a lot of times to make ourselves feel better because we're uncomfortable with the situations that uh, the situation that's happening but I think as a society we also use words to make everything seem lighter and not as awful as they are when really the truth is it's awful you're fighting right. for your life and yeah. you know that's why hide that? Like, exactly. Why try to make that anything other than what it is? I have a couple of questions about your diagnosis. Did you have a, yeah. a family history? No family history. Um, yeah, triple. You so breast cancer in general. I think only like a nine percent or some crazy low number is genetic. Um, so I. No family history, which is, again, another reason why my family and myself were kind of like, eh, it, it hopefully isn't anything because we don't have the family history. Um, I um, have some like uh, one or two very extended family members, but um, not necessarily with triple negative that we know of. Um and can you tell everybody what triple negative is? Yes. Oh, sorry. I should have That's said okay. that. So it means that there's no hormone receptors. So it's ER negative, PR negative, and HER2 negative. Um, so I, I'll never forget my first oncologist literally like drawing a little drawing of the little like cell and showing that it has like negative. That's how I think of it. So it means it has none of the hormone receptors. And for that reason, specifically, treatment options are pretty slim. Mm -hmm. um, they're, you know, historically, it can respond really well to chemotherapy. But again, there's only a few that are like that work for it. So if unfortunately, your cancer is not responding well to the typical line of treatment for triple negative, your options are, are very, very slim, which is why I think, I mean, research is obviously incredibly important. Um, and even just in the almost four years since I've been diagnosed, treatment for triple negative has changed like enormously, which is amazing. Right. Um, but there is a, there is a medication that is like common practice now for people to get um, while they're getting chemo. It's like an immunotherapy that didn't exist when I was um, going through treatment. So Research is just so important, and it it's clear that they're continuously trying to find more information about breast cancer, cancer in general, triple negative specifically, um, so that hopefully, you know, there are more treatment options someday. Mm. I, I want to go back to um, when you were talking about how you were writing for Elephants in Tea and, and then you kind of transitioned into making your own podcast, and mm -hmm. I'm curious what... What did that feel like for you, self-expression wise, like the difference between, because there are clear differences, right, between writing something out and mm -hmm. having to speak it aloud? And, and how do you feel like that changed maybe your own, um, 
I don't know, like your own relationship with your experience you had. And mm, I love that question. Um, it's funny because uh, as most people feel this way, I think I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> so the idea of doing a podcast was really intimidating at first. But I think that the difference between writing and speaking is I, I am not one that is scared or shy or timid of sharing the emotional aspects. So I think that my podcast, there are episodes where I get clearly get very emotional. Um, and I think having that and being able to share that vulnerability, um, it feels very different when you are having a conversation with someone rather than writing things on paper, if that makes sense. Um, and all I kept kind of hearing in my head when I was like starting thinking of the idea to do the podcast is there are people right now who either are in the thick of going through what you've been through and they could really benefit from things that I have to say. They could benefit from hearing that I had a hard time with this too or that. Um, and that really stuck with me. Um, there's a quote that I love. I'm about to get real corny, but <laughs> there's a That's quote okay. by we like corny. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brene Brown. And she says, I'm sure maybe you've heard of this quote. It's a pretty common one, but one day you'll tell the story of how you overcame what you went through and it will be someone else's survival guide. And mm -hmm. that kind of like really... I feel like I took that to heart um, again, because it really doesn't matter what type of cancer you go through. There are so many shared emotions and shared experiences when you're walking through something that difficult. Um, and each person has their own, you know, truly unique experience. And I almost feel, feel like sharing my story verbally. It was like giving me my power back, if that makes sense. Like, it was putting me back in control um, mm -hmm. of my own story because I think anyone would agree that when you're going through cancer, you're so not in control of anything that to have something that was mine, that I could choose what I was going to share, that I could, um, I don't know, something about that made me feel like I was almost again, corny, but like finding my purpose. Like I went through this really difficult thing and I am going to use my hurt, my pain, my struggle and try to help other people feel less alone in the process. Um, sharing tips that maybe other people wouldn't think about or, um, yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that this is for everybody, but for me, like I said, sharing my story could potentially show other people what's possible for them. And maybe it'll inspire other people to share what they've been through and almost have that like trickle effect, mm -hmm. you know, um, because I think it's wild. But until I went through it, I had no idea how many young adults were going through cancer. You just don't know if it's not a part of your life. It's not on your radar. Yeah. No, not yeah. at all. So that weirdly kind of became so vivid and 
I was like, wow, if, if there are this many people talking about it, think of how many people there are going through this that aren't, or that could use like to hear this voice and these thoughts. And um, yeah, I don't know. I guess on that note, can you share like for people that, um, I don't know, like at any stage of this process that feel like whether it's they, they want to write something down and they don't know where to start or they're like, I want to start my own podcast. How do, I do, how do I do that? Can you, I guess, share some tips for how to get started or just how to kind of like gently, I feel like there's some gentleness that has to happen. Like you invite yourself to be expressive, you know? Totally, totally. Yeah. So I don't know if the natural progression is like kind of writing about it first because that is how it happened for me. Um, And to be honest, before I would in my, again, like I said, I'm very type A. So like I had all these plans for episodes and I didn't write out a script or anything, but I would write out some notes of kind of get what was in my head on paper first and then be able to kind of like talk about it. So that for me was very helpful, but when I take a step back and I think back to like when I even was starting to think about doing a podcast in general, um, again, I was thinking like, okay, what makes my situation unique? Like what makes me, me, what makes my cancer experience something that I feel like people might want to hear about? Um, and for me personally with my podcast, I think one of my main focuses was giving a glimpse into kind of like the behind the scenes. So like my husband's episode is first because I felt so, um, it was so important to me for people to hear what we went through from his point of view. Um, And the feedback I got from that, from other caregivers being like, oh my gosh, like I listened to his episode and I couldn't believe like, Thank you for having him share what he went through because it's exactly how I was feeling. So again, maybe thinking about what part of your own experience you think could help other people um, and starting there and thinking about, and honestly, my biggest advice would be to just be real. Like that's what people are craving. People don't want to hear this like fluffy, you know, super positive. They want to hear the real positivity. Yeah, totally. (laughs) No, totally. Um, so I think in that I had like that as such a goal. And then I also was getting, it was almost like my own therapy, like thinking about what I was going to talk about. Um, and it really just kind of, I found that connection and I found that it really like was lighting me up and allowing me to use my story with some creativity and, um, and knowing that I was helping people to boot was like icing on the cake. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that's helpful, but as far as like actually physically starting the podcast, it took a lot of research because again, I had like no idea. (laughs) I didn't know what programs to use. And mine was like extremely, low budget, but I don't think you'd know that if you had listened to it. Um, I Cause you don't like- need, that's the fun part is you don't need a studio. You don't need 
You can, exactly. I mean, they, they're filming films, movies on iPhones, so yeah. you don't need to spend a lot of money to do it. Totally. And mine wasn't, um, I don't have videos of it. I would video chat with the person I was interviewing so that our conversations were really natural and we could see each other, but it was just the record, the sound recording. Um, so that kind of put my, the people that I was interviewing at ease a little bit too, um, and again, there are, there's no right or wrong way to do it. There are so many ways. So if this is something that's interesting to you, if you're listening, do your research and find what you think will work for you. I mean, I literally, like I said, I have two little kids. You need it to be pretty quiet to record a podcast. <laughs> I My recording studio was my tiny closet in my bedroom. Yes. And I would literally sit the on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Sit on my floor with a pillow um, and that's where I did it. And it would often be once the boys were in bed or at like really weird hours. And, um, but it was such a passion project for me that like, I had such a drive to do it that I just made it work around all the other things going on in my life. Um, so I guess that too, if, if someone's listening to this and has been like on the fence or like, I don't know, I, maybe I'll do do it because what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, um, you never know who could really benefit from hearing what you've been through. And I think that that's, that's just the key to be honest. I think for podcasts, some people think there's so much pressure to be consistent with it and I have to do it every week. And, you know, sometimes I just don't want to talk. Uh, do you ever go through that? Where you're like, I just don't want to like, do this right now do you ever take breaks do you have like seasons or how do you how do you construct that yeah so technically I did I have one full season it was 22 episodes um and I that type a personality is gonna come shining back through because for me I was like I gotta release an episode every Monday <laughs> like I have mm -hmm. to do it so I did everything I could to make that happen um, whether that mean, you know, back recording and then doing the editing on my own and getting them ready so that I could have a few weeks like off where I wasn't actively doing anything. Um, because like I said, these programs are incredible and you can kind of set it up and plan them and choose when they're going to go live and all of that. So, um, yeah. So for me, I did like the idea of having one released every Monday and as my kind of audience grew, I didn't want to like let anybody down if they, I mean, my audience, it, a few hundred people, which is so great, but yeah. I, is, I, great. <laughs> I didn't want to, um, I don't know. For me, I just liked having that schedule. It kind of helped keep me, yeah, it kept mm -hmm. me on track. However, on the flip side, I will absolutely say that, like you said, Rich, like podcasting is so flexible that you really can release one a month. You can release mm -hmm. one every other week. You can release one whenever you have something to say. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't, it, it's all up to you. And that kind of flexibility and creativity behind it is really, really nice as well. Mm. Yeah. I was just thinking about like early, cause we're on, I don't know, we've done 70 some episodes now. And uh, we did some trials at the beginning, like, little test like how do we want this to even look like what format yeah. how do we want to do that and just trying and then also not being afraid to change it mm. if it's like not feeling like it it works for you then people are also probably going to catch on that if it feels forced 
And so just being flexible with everything, with the schedule, with the way you film it, with, you know, all of that, I think is important to give yourself space to be able to create in that way and not be so hard on yourself. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I, for me, my episodes were very, like the interview, the conversation was the heart of it. Um, So yes, I would do some pre-planning. I would really make sure I knew who I was going to be speaking to. I would send them a list of questions that I would most likely we'd be talking about. But I made it very clear that like, I want this to be a conversation Mm -hmm. and I want it to flow naturally. And I'm very proud that I feel like each episode really did come across that way because it was that way. It felt that way. Um, Very organic, very natural. Um, And then, you know, at the end of my first season, I was, my plan was going to be to take a few months off and then continue with my interviews and get my second season going. But that's right around the time when I got this new full-time job, which I have so much passion for and so much love for and does take up a lot of my time. So it kind of transitioned and I can't say much, but I will let you know that there Uh is something coming. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You heard it here Um, first. Teaser, you heard it here first. I feel like we need more. Say that again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, thank you. I know I need to bow again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, I, I am so passionate about it and I fell so in love with podcasting that, um, that I want to and will continue to do it. Um, in it's going to be a little bit different, but the heart of it is going to be still there. Um, and I'm very excited, but that's all I can say right now. Will you make sure we know when you announce more so we can we can tell everybody? Yes. Absolutely, yes. I will. I will. What what is the best way for people to connect with you and, and the so, work that you do? Yeah. So if they want to um, email me, I think my email at elephants and tea, it's Lisa at elephantsandtea.com. So very easy. Um, I think that following Elephants and Tea magazine on Instagram, um, will be, again, that was kind of like how I initially got into finding that power to share my story. So I think that that could be helpful if that's something that people are interested in starting to do, even even starting with reading the stories of others, which we post three new stories a week on our website and our quarterly magazine is completely free to subscribe to. You can either subscribe digitally or get the print, good old print version, which um, we just love. Awesome. So- it's uh, such a beautiful magazine. It like, is. like it looks beautiful. All the content, like, oh, so yeah. jealous. It's lovely. Our and you guys, you cover so many topics for people who haven't looked yeah. at, at your site yet. Like, there's stuff about survivorship, patients, um, sexuality, caregivers. Yeah. It's just such a really rich content, I feel like. Thank you. Yeah. And that's, I mean, our director of content, Rachel Mihalko, is just incredible. Um, I think they're our team of three. We only have three full-time employees. We're small but mighty. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. It's yeah. <laughs> amazing. We, yeah, we're, um, we're very proud of what we do. And like you said, I think that that's our slogan. I probably should have shared that is the elephant in the room is cancer and tea is the relief that conversation provides. Mm. So 
we it really is the heart and soul of that storytelling and talking about the things that aren't talked about enough. And um, I think that there's, again, just so much power in that. So yeah, mm -hmm. we're very proud of it. You're making me tear up because I'm thinking of three people doing so much great work in the world and like the passion that's like, I don't know, it, it, I'm kind of speechless. Like, You're very sweet. I know we're doing big things. I mean, we have an incredible board of directors. We have a lot of volunteers too. So um, I don't want to, the three of us are not the only ones, but we're, we're technically the only full-time employees. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we're doing so many um, virtual um events we have some in-person events coming in 2023 and we're very like big dreamers if that makes sense and so we just want we just have so many ideas of things to do to help this community and and we're gonna do them i'm confident that we're just gonna do them so we're excited well you've always been super supportive of hearts need art oh, and we've done some best. stuff together and and we appreciate it and this is of a little course. way that we can thank you back thank you uh but anyway, we can help, of course, reach out. You guys are great. We love you. Thank you. And we love you right back. And thank you so much for having me today. It's, um, it's always nice to be able to kind of share my story, but um, also just being on your platform. And you guys do such incredible things, too. And yeah, just thank you. It's been really nice chatting mm -hmm. with you both. Thank you, Lisa. It's what day is it? Tuesday. I was like, what a great way to start the week. But it's not Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> That's okay. It's, it's still fine. the beginning of the week. <laughs> Depending on when they listen to this, it could be a Monday. I don't know. Exactly. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Make sure you subscribe wherever you do that. And you can text five, you can text podcast to 53555 to support the show. We'll see you later. Enjoy. Keep creating, everyone. Bye bye. Bye. Which one is it? Oh, it's this one. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health of It. This episode is produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers, and hosted by Richard Wilmore and Catherine Partisini. You can support the show and help others learn about the healing power of the arts by visiting heartsneedart.org. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Hearts Need Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this.